way that from Abraham to Christ, that lineage was preserved intact was that the power of God was working to bring salvation into the world. That really is the story of the Bible. The prophets prophesying of the coming of Christ and everything they're dealing with the captivities and they're dealing with God's punishment against Israel but they are constantly pointing the people to the day when the Messiah would come because that would be the, the, the solution to man's problems not the end of man's problems as we all know but the solution this is what God was promising the world and providing for the world. It's a glorious thing. So when we come to Luke, it's interesting to me the way Luke introduces the story of the birth of Christ. He doesn't go, first of all, Matthew starts off right off the bat to show you, to verify, to confirm for you Christ's rightful claim to be the Messiah by showing his lineage from Abraham to David, in fact, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then filling in those, the, the gaps in between to show you that there's a, a stream of succession that demonstrates Christ's title to be the Messiah. Luke doesn't give his genealogy, which his genealogy is different as well, and there, there are reasons for that and various uh, theories that have been floated, and it's interesting again that the Bible does not try to um, deal with or explain the differences between the two genealogies, but presents them to you. But Luke doesn't get to his genealogy until after the baptism of Christ. He opens with John the Baptist. And that's what we want to look at tonight. The first part of the Christmas story, the part that we don't think about, is the birth of John the Baptist. And so let's stand together and we'll read Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, reading down to verse 17. These are the words of God. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Leviathan. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. 
And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open the word together, I pray that we would desire to know your mind uh, and see what you're revealing about yourself in here. And I pray that we would receive the word gladly with readiness of mind and that we would be shaped uh, and transformed by the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that the preaching of the word would be a help and encouragement and a source of strength to all of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe God had three purposes for the birth of John the Baptist. First of all, his birth was a sign to Israel. It was the birth itself was a sign to Israel. Now, it's important to remember that these things were not done in corner. That none of these things were done in secret. They were all very public, very well known, and spoken of. And uh, you know, we, today, uh, we the, the world we live in is not quite like the old time small town America. But if you know anything about small time America, you know that there are no secrets. That word spreads fast. And Israel was, the word would spread like lightning throughout, uh, throughout Israel. Something like this in particular would uh, be a famous thing. So John the Baptist's sign, the birth was a sign to Israel. When John the Baptist was born, Verse 65 of Luke 1 tells us that fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. You see what I mean by small town? Uh, It just spread like wildfire. It spread everywhere what had happened. But it's interesting that the people feared when they saw it because they saw the power of God on display in the birth of John the Baptist. It was a startling miracle. I think it's safe to estimate, at the very least, Zacharias and Elizabeth were in their 60s, but the way the Bible says this, I think it's much more likely that they were older than that, perhaps even in their 80s or 90s when this happened. I mean, if if a couple in their 60s has a baby, you know, that would be a startling thing. Uh, You remember maybe the old National Enquirer they used to have copies of, I don't know if they still do, I don't notice them as much, but it used to be like a 90-year-old woman 
gives birth to a chimpanzee or something like that on the cover of it. You think that if they were, assuming that they were up in years, I mean, they described themselves that way. John, uh, Zacharias can't believe this is going to happen because of their age. So that, to me, that means that they are significantly beyond the childbearing years. And here they give birth. Elizabeth gives birth to this baby. This miracle was accompanied by other miracles that also served as signs. Zechariah's vision, his speechlessness in verse 22, his, the fact that he can't speak at all is a sign that when he comes out and he can't speak, the people know that he's seen a vision. And, of course, at the end of the book, when his speech is restored, the moment his speech is restored, the way that his speech is restored, and what he says when it's restored, all of these things are part of this, God is displaying his power through Zacharias. Add to that the astounding things that Zacharias said about his son, which we'll come to later on, but again at the end of the chapter. The, the, the birth of John the Baptist served as a sign to Israel of good things to come. Secondly, his birth, I believe, and I'm not going to elaborate on this, but I believe that his birth was the earnest of the incarnation. You can think of it as the down payment. In the Old Testament, when the prophets spoke of the birth of the Messiah, they spoke of a forerunner. And so the giving of the forerunner was an assurance that God was giving that the Messiah was about to come. That is the point and then thirdly, his birth announced the coming Messiah. So not only was it the down payment, but it was in fact the announcement of the birth of the Messiah. John the Baptist was the forerunner, the herald, to announce this birth. Zacharias made it known that this child preceded the Messiah. That in fact, when we get to it, that was the first part of Zacharias' message, once his tongue was loosed, set free again, that's what he wanted everyone to know. So understand the significance of this prophecy. Zacharias was silent for nine months from the time really of his vision until the time that John the Baptist was born. Zacharias was unable to speak. But when he opened his mouth, <clears throat> his prophetic word did not just end a nine-month drought of Zacharias not speaking. When Zacharias opened his mouth, it was the first prophetic word that Israel had heard in 400 years. From Malachi until now, silence from God, not a prophetic word. And then Zacharias opened his mouth when John the Baptist was born. Now this is interesting. The last prophetic word 
that Israel had heard came from the mouth of Malachi. And you know what Malachi said? He said, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Four hundred years before John the Baptist was born, Malachi announced that, and now, in Luke chapter 1, <coughs> that prophetic word opens up the New Testament, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. That makes Luke 1.17 all the more important because the long night was over. Not only had Zacharias broken his silence, but God had broken his silence. Amen. John the Baptist was not the one to bring light into the world, and he was very clear about that. In John chapter 1 and verse 8, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Do you think, do you think that God didn't want the world to know that he had sent Jesus? That he had kept his promise? That the promised Messiah, that all of Israel was looking for and hoping for, do you think that God kept it on the lowdown, kept it hush-hush? Of course not. Of course not. He wants the world to know. And so, God heralds the announcement, makes the announcement, using extraordinary measures to make sure that the world knows that he has sent the promised Messiah. Jesus Christ was born into a world of darkness. God brought the sunrise that ended that long night. As the hymn says, oh, Come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows quit the flight. The light began to shine when God sent his herald, John the Baptist, to point out the fact that the bright and morning star had already appeared, and this means that sunrise is on its way. The birth of John the Baptist is the true beginning of the Christmas story, though it's often overlooked and neglected. John's father was Zacharias, a Levite of the course of Abiah. 1 Chronicles 24 tells us that David divided the priests into 24 groups. Each division of priests was assigned to serve the temple for two weeks out of each year. The course of Abiah was the eighth division of the priests. Zacharias was married to Elizabeth, who also was a Levite, a daughter of Aaron. So a Levite married to a Levite, a rare thing. In Israel, especially in that day, both Zacharias and Elizabeth were righteous before God. As verse 6 tells us, they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. 
Now the name Zacharias means Jehovah has remembered. Isn't that something? Jehovah has remembered. And Elizabeth means God is my oath. They were both now well stricken in years. As I said, at least in their 60s, possibly in their 80s or 90s. They had no child. Now, the people of Israel did not view children the way the people of America view children. The people of Israel viewed children not as a burden, but as a blessing. And so to be childless was to have that blessing of all blessings withheld from you. As a result of that, and from what I read here in this passage, it seems to me that Zacharias prayed constantly, even in his old age, prayed that God would bless him with a child, that he and his wife would be blessed with a son. When the angel announced the birth of John the Baptist, this is what he said to Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. I don't think that was a long forgotten prayer. I don't think that that was a prayer that he had been neglecting. I think that Zacharias had consistently prayed for this. Thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. It seems to me then that Zacharias was praying for a son and probably also praying for the coming of the Messiah as well. During the two-week period, when the course of Abiah performed their new temple duties, God placed a very high honor on Zacharias, according to verses 8 and 9. See, in Israel, and according to custom, the priest who offered the incense was chosen by a lot. What that means essentially is that God made a choice <coughs> of which priest would serve would 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 uh, serve the incense or uh, offer the incense. A priest was only allowed to offer incense one time in his entire life. So here is Zacharias. He's been a priest serving for two weeks every year for many, many, many years. Now, now think about this. What this tells you is that Zacharias had lived much of his life with unfilled, unfulfilled desire, disappointment. Throughout his whole life, he had longed to have a son and he had been disappointed in that desire. Throughout his entire life, he had longed to be chosen and some, by the way, some priests would die having never had the opportunity to offer that incense. But here, God honors Zacharias in an extraordinary way. <clears throat> against, against this backdrop of disappointment and unfulfilled desire, God turned the tables on Zacharias. And I, I think... Honestly, I think that this is symbolic of what God is doing in the world itself. What God wants to do right now for Israel in this time 
with Zacharias. So turning the table for Zacharias, I think, turned the table also for Israel. And that that's what the point was, that God is saying that things are about to change, Israel, because of this. The, the incense Zacharias offered symbolized, in fact, the prayers of the nation. The whole multitude of the people was praying at the time of incense. Most likely it was on the Sabbath day, since there was a multitude of people who were there praying at that time. At that particular moment, Zacharias was the focal point of the entire Jewish nation. Understand that that's what God is doing here. The people were praying. Zacharias was praying. The incense symbolized those united prayers offered to God. So when Gabriel met him standing on the right side of the altar of incense, the point is that all these prayers are about to be answered. God is about to answer these prayers. And we know that in the Bible, that you have these things that happen consistently in the Word of God. In the Bible, whenever a man meets a woman at a well, there's going to be a wedding. And in the Bible, whenever an angel appears to a barren woman, there's going to be a birth. And so the angel appears to Zechariah. Zacharias entered the holy place. He met a real angel there, by the way, not one of the pudgy, you know, enlightenment angels. Uh, not sweet Angie, Angie, the Christmas tree angel, but met a real angel there. We know this, by the way, that it was a real angel because of Zacharias' reaction. Because he didn't respond with a warm, fuzzy feeling. The Bible says that he was afraid, terrified, in fact, gripped with fear. He encountered Gabriel, the mighty archangel, the warrior angel of heaven. Gabriel delivered a simple message. Thy prayer is heard, he said. Elizabeth shall bear a son. Call his name John. By the way, the, the name John also means something here. Uh, the meaning is Jehovah is gracious. So this is what God is doing. He's sending this message through John the Baptist. The angel continued, Thou shalt have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth. The angel gave this as the reason for this rejoicing. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He described the baby's character. He would be a Nazarite, drinking neither wine nor strong drink and filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Gabriel described what he would do and what he would accomplish in verses 16 and 17. Zacharias' response seems out of character. Because I want you to think about this. Here's a man up in years, ancient man. He has been faithful despite many disappointments, really a life of unfulfilled desire, but he still has been faithful in spite of all the disappointment that surrounded him in his life. He has been faithful year after year after year. And so it's surprising to us, it seems out of character, that a man who is faithful this way 
would respond to Gabriel's message the way Zacharias responded to, to, to it, understand, you can look at it and say, well, it doesn't seem like he's doubting that much, but Gabriel said that he did not believe. And Gabriel was not wrong about this. God, in fact, bound his tongue because he did not believe. So God, who sees infallibly what is in the heart, recognizes a heart of unbelief. And this, despite, this is a man who has been praying for year after year after year for a child, has been faithful to serve the Lord year after year after year, despite his disappointments. Who, when confronted with the message, the promise, blessing, doesn't believe. It's, it's out of character, and yet it's very much in character. Do you remember the time when Peter was in jail and the disciples were gathered and were praying <coughs> that he would be released? And do you remember how the angel of the Lord went and led him out, led him out of the, the jail? And he came to the place where they were praying and he knocked at the door. Do you remember that? He knocked at the door and Rhoda went and answered the door and she saw Peter and she rushed back in and she left him standing outside and rushed back in to tell everybody our prayers have been answered. Peter is here and the people said, be quiet, we're busy praying. Isn't that just like us? You know, we need to learn not only to be abased, but also to abound. Yes. We need to learn when God pr promises blessing and when he delivers that blessing to receive that blessing from the Lord. But Zacharias doesn't receive it. He's not ready for it. He wasn't willing to take God's word for it. He needed some other assurance outside of the plain word of God. Zacharias didn't doubt the angel. What he doubted was God's ability to make this happen, to keep his own word. In doing so, he forgot what every Israelite should have remembered. It should have been at the forefront of their mind. That way back in the beginning, when God made his promise to Adam, Clear that it would come through the line of Abraham. God had worked a great miracle to confirm his promise to Abraham. And that miracle was that Abraham and Sarah, when they were both up in years, gave birth to the promised seed, Isaac. How could Zacharias forget about that? And yet, he did. Don't despise Zacharias. I don't think any of us do that much better at trusting God to keep his promises despite the record in the word of God of God's promises kept over so many years and the evidence in our own lives, our own experience of God and his word and his promises. Yet, when we come up against a challenge, a crisis, how easily we doubt the Lord. Because Zacharias did not believe, God commanded that he would not speak. And because of his lapse of faith, 
Zacharias, and this is sad, all right, but it was customary in that time, the priest who offered the incense would then come out of the temple and would offer a blessing to the people. But because Zacharias had doubted God, it was his one time in his life he got to do this. He did not get to pronounce that blessing on the people. The blessing is laid out for us in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Not only could he not and pronounce that blessing on the people, he couldn't explain why he couldn't pronounce it. He could not explain what he had seen. The people realized, they recognized that he's seen a vision, but he can't tell anybody about it. They would have to wait nine months before they could know what this vision was about. But that being said, Zacharias did ask the Lord for a sign, and, and this is the amazing thing about God. Despite what God did to deal with Zacharias' doubt, God also answered his prayer. God gave him a sign. And the sign was that he was not able to speak for nine months. When Zacharias' weeks were up, he hurried back to the hill country of Judea, so he could explain, I assume, he wrote it down for his wife, what had happened. Verse 24 tells us that Elizabeth conceived and immediately went into hiding for 24 months. I'm sorry, five months, not 24 months. <laughs> <laughs> Misread my paper. Then in the sixth month of, month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel appeared again, this time to a young virgin woman named Mary and gave her even better news than he had given to Zacharias and Mary believed. Perhaps she hadn't lived long enough to become a little cynical about God's blessings. As Mary approached Elizabeth, even when Mary was saluting Elizabeth, the babe believed in Elizabeth's womb and verse 41 tells us that she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice a few things then in the passage, if you're with me there. First of all, three people in Luke chapter 1 are filled with the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth, according to verse 41, Zacharias in verse 67, and the baby himself, John the Baptist, in the womb, according to verse 15. And what was the result of this filling of the Holy Ghost? Three in this story rejoiced and were full of joy. Mary, Elizabeth, and the baby, John the Baptist. And we see then three also who prophesied. John the Baptist, of course, much later in his life. But two on the spot. When John the Baptist was born, Elizabeth prophesied and Zacharias prophesied. We see Elizabeth prophesying first in verse 42, if you'll follow with me. 
Mary did not, by the way, Mary, when she greeted Elizabeth, did not tell her the news. But Elizabeth, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew what had happened. Right then, verse 42, Elizabeth knew it through the Holy Ghost, and she spoke with a loud voice, not out of any necessity, other than that she was thrilled and delighted with what she was witnessing. And notice what she said in her loud voice. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed, from, comes, blessed comes from the Greek word that literally means well spoken of. You'll be praised. You'll be honored. She is not exalted to the place, of course, that the Roman Catholic Church has exalted her. She is not a mediatrix between God and men. But she is honored among women and ought to be. Because out of all the women in the history of the world, she was chosen to bear the Messiah. Luke contrasts Mary's faith with Zechariah's doubt in verse 45. The word blessed there means happy. And Elizabeth explains because Mary believed what God told her. That's why she was blessed. That's why she was happy. Because she believed. In her Magnificat, which is the Latin word for uh, magnifying, where Mary sought to magnify the Lord, it's important to note the first words out of her mouth, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She did not magnify herself. She magnified the Lord eight times. She says, Mary, in her, in her praise of God, magnifying the Lord, eight times she uses the phrase, he hath. She borrowed heavily, by the way, from the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The word of God worked through <coughs> the spirit of God to produce really one of the most beautiful songs in all of Scripture. And after all the buildup, then we come to the record of the birth of John the Baptist. So this is, this is what God is doing here. He promised 400 years before that there would be a, a prophet who would come in the spirit of Elijah and who would be the forerunner, the herald, to announce the birth, the coming of the Messiah. And then the angel appeared to Zacharias and told him that now is the time and you are the one, you and your wife. And then nine months later, Zacharias and Elizabeth have a baby. When you read it in the Bible, it's almost anticlimactic. Like you have all this buildup and all this excitement and then the baby is born and it's almost like just mentioned in passing. But there's a reason for it because again, the baby is like an arrow, like a big neon arrow, blinking lights, pointing men to what is even better yet to come what God has promised, the hope of all the ages is about to come. When God keeps his word, this is the thing. He doesn't need a lot of fanfare. He doesn't need trumpets to sound. When he keeps his word, it's not a, a 
my daughter and I like to watch um, different football movies together or football players' lives, like the documentary stuff. And she likes football and I like football, so we do that together. And we just watched uh, the recent one made about Barry Sanders. And one of the things I love about Barry Sanders, when he scored a touchdown, he handed the, the ball to the referee. He didn't spike it, he didn't do all the crazy dances and all that stuff. He, he, you know what they said? He acted like he had been there before, like this was not a new thing. Now, for me, when, when I make a promise, especially if it's a big one, if it works out and I'm able to keep that thing, that's cause for celebration right there. I keep you like, oh man, I made this promise and now how in the world am I going to fulfill this thing? But when God makes a promise, it is not shocking when he fulfills it, when he completes it. He doesn't blow the trumpets because he's done this before lots of times and he'll do it again. And so <clears throat> this is a very, all very matter of fact. God said Zacharias and Elizabeth would have a son, and they had a son. And right away, we find even more fulfillment. Gabriel promised that many shall rejoice at his birth. And so verse 58 tells us that his neighbors and cousins rejoiced. I think it's interesting about the cousins. But anyway, that was not the fulfillment of of the prophecy that was only the commencement of it the angel said that many would rejoice and can I just point out to you that what we're doing right here right now is rejoicing yes. in what God did in the through John the Baptist we also are rejoicing we also are delighted that God would take such care to assure us that he was fulfilling his promise to answer our questions, to make it known that this is what I have been aiming towards. This is what I've been promising for thousands of years, and now I'm doing it. And all this, all the music that you've heard tonight, all the decoration, all of this is celebration that God kept his word. God kept his promise. And that brings us to the important events on the eighth day as described beginning in verse 59. On that day, John the Baptist was taken to the temple to be circumcised. This is when his parents would officially name him. And we see in verse 59 that a great debate broke out over what name he should be given. The Bible tells us that his Neighbors and apparently his cousins uh, felt that they had, you know, some naming rights there. And they named him Zacharias after the name of his father. That would be customary, but Elizabeth objected. Not so, she said, but he shall be called John. Apparently, Zacharias had communicated this to her, again, I would assume he put it in writing. The neighbors and family argued, there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. They turned to the father to settle the dispute. He called for a writing tablet, 
So clearly he still can't speak. And he wrote saying, his name is John. By the way, Zacharias obviously repented of his unbelief. And he believed God and gave the baby the name <coughs> that God instructed him to give it. <coughs> and when he did, the Bible tells us that immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spake and praised God. <clears throat> that must have been a powerful witness to the people because the Bible tells us that fear came on all that dwelt round about them, all their neighbors and all their cousins were scared. The word of this event spread throughout all the hill country of Judea, and the impact on that area was so great that verse 66 tells us, and all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what manner of child shall this be? The hand of the Lord was with him. The people recognized them, and this is the key. The people recognized God is shining the light on this baby, John the Baptist, in such a way that the people know there's something extraordinary about this baby. Here's the thing. It's easy, I think, for us to look at the Bible, to read these things, and to think to ourselves, okay, so John the Baptist appears on the scene sometime when he's an adult, and he's kind of a wild man, you know, he, he eats locusts and wild honey and, and that kind of thing, and, and he's preaching repentance, and the people are just kind of, you know, who is this guy? What is this guy? But that's not what you see in the Bible. What you see is that from his birth, God singled his, him out and displayed to the people that this is not a usual baby. It's a baby that, first of all, his parents are ancient. And secondly, all of these events about this baby point to the fact that this is something far beyond the normal, the ordinary. When Zacharias got his tongue back, he had a lot to say. Verse 64, you can see it. He spoke what God had worked into his heart during those long, <coughs> torturous months of silence. His words give us four points and four pictures of what the coming of Christ to earth really means. Zacharias preached a sermon, and the sermon did not start with the baby. The sermon started with Jesus Christ, the one that the baby pointed to. His four points were first, praise the Lord, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Secondly, the reasons to praise the Lord, verse 68, the end, for he hath visited and redeemed Thirdly, how he would redeem his people. He would raise up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
Now, horns in the Bible always symbolize power. So the Savior <coughs> was the one who came authorized and empowered by God to deliver us. It would be a covenantal deliverance according to the oath he made with David. Verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Specifically, he would deliver us out of the hand of our enemies so that we can serve him and him alone. And fourthly, he described John the Baptist's role in this. So, so it's, the sermon is all about the Messiah. But at the end, Zacharias points to the purpose of John the Baptist, why God sent this woman. You know, when you look at it, and it's, we, we need to be careful not to try to, um, too hard to um, understand and comprehend all that God is doing. God is, okay, so, and I don't want to say that in the wrong way. Of course, we want to look in the Word of God where God reveals His Word to us. But the Bible also says, known unto God are all His works from the foundation of the world. God is doing something extraordinary here. And it doesn't necessarily make sense to us why God would do it this way. Why he would send John the Baptist to make such a big deal about this and make it such a public thing when John the Baptist is born. And that that birth would herald the birth that really matters. But this is what Zacharias answers here. Zacharias <clears throat> described John the Baptist's role in verse 76 through 79. And, and this, is, this is what he says in verse 76. John was prophet of the highest. Now, this is, this is an interesting thing in Luke chapter 1. That phrase, the highest, is used three times. John the Baptist is prophet of the highest. But then, if you look at verse 32, you'll see that John the Baptist is prophet of the highest, is introducing the son of the highest. So this is his ministry. As prophet of the highest, he introduces the son of the highest, who was conceived in Mary's womb, according to verse 35, by the power of the highest. So this is, this is what God is doing. He is making it known what he is doing in the world. He does not want this thing to be a secret. He does not want this to be concealed, to be covered. He wants the people to know what he is doing. Zacharias had nine months and some change to think about what the angel had told him when he was offering the incense. Gabriel told him that many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That would be the ministry of John the Baptist. So not just a herald, but a proclaimer 
a, a man who preached repentance to the people, who called them to repentance so that they could be prepared for the Lord. Because listen, we must not ever approach God presumptuously. We must not ever approach God as if our sin does not matter. <coughs> Zacharias understood what this meant. He would be called the prophet of the highest. He would go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. He would give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. And it is by this tender mercy that the day spring from on high have visited us. The four pictures that he used show us really what the incarnation means or meant to us. First of all, the opening of a prison door, verse 68, he had visited and redeemed his people, set them free from prison, as Jesus said in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Secondly, in verse 69 through 75, he pictures it as the winning of a battle. The picture is of an army about to be taken captive, but then help arrives and the enemy is defeated. In the previous picture, the captives were set free, but in this picture, the enemy is defeated so that he cannot capture more prisoners. It means total victory, in other words, for the people of God. That's what, John, what Zacharias is promising through the ministry of John the Baptist as he prepares the way for the Messiah. Then in verse 76, the canceling of a debt, which is the meaning of remission of sins. And then in verse 78 and 79, the dawning of a new day. The day spring points to the sunrise. The morning star comes at the darkest hour. Prophetically, Zacharias is saying that the long night is about to end. The sunrise. Now, Jesus is referred to as the bright and morning star. <clears throat> when the stars all fade, as the sun is about to rise, one star still shines in the sky. That star is the planet Venus, also called the morning star. That star tells us that the sun is about to arise. And the Bible is referring to Jesus as that star. The morning light is slow to shine. God doesn't just flip a switch and the light is on. The light is slow, but it is sure. It might seem dark, and it might be hard at this hour to tell whether the sun is rising or setting. But the sun is not setting. Christ is the morning star ushering in a bright new day. Jesus gives light to those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to, guard our, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The people which sat in darkness 
saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light was sprung up. And finally, we're told that the child spent his growing years in the deserts, according to verse 80. God purposely connects John the Baptist with Elijah. John the Baptist disciplined himself spiritually and physically. In the wilderness, he grew and became strong in spirit. He waited for the day when God would send him out to preach the Messiah. He had a very singular purpose, to preach to them, to prepare the way of the Lord. He preaches that now, today, to each of you. Repent and believe. That's the point of the passage. This is the way, by the way, this is the way that God always prepares us for Jesus Christ. First, by showing us our need for repentance and giving us an urgent <laughs> desire to repent before the Lord. The pattern is set and established in Luke, but it continues to this day. I think this is the point. The world in Luke 1 is about to be changed forever by the birth of Christ. So, of course, a grand announcement is necessary. It's absolutely true. The world was watching. These things, as I've said, were not done in a corner. It was not <coughs> We see how the people gathered in the temple when Zacharias had his vision. We see the way they were affected when Zacharias broke his nine months of silence. We see the way they responded when the baby was named John. It wasn't the Messiah. It was the herald of the Messiah. God rejoiced to make, before Christ was born, to make a human trumpet. And that trumpet was John the Baptist. And that trumpet sounded to draw the people to Jesus Christ. This is how much I love the world, God said, by sending John the Baptist. This is what he was saying. This is how much I love the world. You have forsaken me, but I have not forsaken you. That's what God said. In response, Every one of us should rejoice and take heart. God has not abandoned us to ourselves. He has not abandoned us to our sins. He has not left us to suffer for those sins. He has, in fact, laid our sins on Jesus Christ. And for Christ's sake, he extends forgiveness and pardon to those who will repent and believe the gospel. Because see, the message of all of this is that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth.